I want to ask you to write something down somewhere within reach. One benefit of a messed up life. One benefit of a messed up life. And then you can put a dash and these words. <clears throat> the opportunity to love much. One benefit of a messed up life is the opportunity to love much. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him, Jesus, to dine with him. One of the Pharisees, one of the ones known for the strict observance of the Old Testament law, the thou shalt nots and the thou shalts. They were so concerned about missing some of those that they wrote some additional commandments that would be setting up some preliminary offenses to total all-out disobedience by giving some smaller things that you'd have to step over before you got to the big one. So they made up or created, drafted all kinds of rules and regulations about how to live a life that would be pleasing to God as they defined him. Those are the Pharisees. You get, anytime the word Pharisee comes up, you just think of the word strict. Strict observance, strict requirements, judgment toward other people who didn't keep the rules as they thought you needed to keep the rules. Now, one of the Pharisees, one of that group, highly influential in the religious climate of the day. But keep in mind, John 1.18 says that Jesus came to this earth, one of his purposes being to explain God, to put an, a proper understanding of how God feels, who God is, how God thinks in a sense, in such a way that ordinary people can get it. So he came as a man, physical body, speaking in audible tones, doing natural things and expressing himself in normal human ways. But the reason behind that was so that the invisible God could be understood in human form, in human ways. Also, as Jesus spoke, as he said, I have come both to explain the Father, but to seek and to save that which is lost. It's possible for a Pharisee, a strict observer 
of the laws in the Bible as they understood them. It's possible for a Pharisee to be lost, to be away from God in the middle of all of his Bible knowledge, all of his religious observance, but still to be lost in the sense of not really knowing God, not knowing who he is. So just as much as Jesus would would welcome people who were very poor and very sick, or they might have been, been being beaten up by demonic oppression and lost, he was also open to the ones who had Bible dripping off of them. Never missed a feast day, never, never missed an observance in the religious tradition, but lost, trying to find God in their religion, but still lost. That's the Pharisee. So Jesus went there, agreed to go to his house, and it wasn't just a drive-by, drive-through Taco Cabana or Burger King or Whataburger. This was an evening deal. This, this was like a 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock in the evening deal. You came in to spend time with whoever the guest was as the host would invite the guest to come. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house. He went and reclined at the table. As I mentioned last week, they didn't have chairs scoot up under the table. They had a cushion or a couch sort of arrangement where they would lean over on an elbow and eat off the table, feet out behind them, reclining at the table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Sexually promiscuous, immoral woman. There was a woman who was a sinner in the city. And when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who's touching him. He would know that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, 
I have something to say to you. He replied, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender, Jesus began, had two debtors. Just hit the pause right there. What did Jesus come to do? Why is he in a physical form as God on this earth? He has come to explain the heart of the invisible God. So Jesus makes up the story. He creates the characters. He creates the plot. He creates the outcome for the specific purpose of making clear the heart of God to people who could understand what he was saying. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, 500 days labor wages, and the other 50, 50 days wages. When they were unable to repay, Jesus said, he, the moneylender, graciously forgave them both. The word meaning forgave as a gift. Forgave out of the kindness, out of the compassion, out of the mercy of his heart. He, he just forgave them both, cleared the debt. They owed him nothing. And then Jesus said, which of them will love him, the moneylender, more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you've judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Customary, just the common custom, the common expression of hospitality. When you would invite some over to your house, somebody over to your house for an evening meal. The roads were dusty or muddy. There weren't leather-covered shoes. It was just customary that a basin of water would be provided with a towel, and the person could wash his own feet, or in many cases, the servants would wash the guests' feet themselves for them. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, no kiss of greeting, no kiss of welcome, no kiss of respect. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, just a welcoming greeting, a, a good smelling ointment that would just be put on the heads. It was customary in those days, but 
She anointed my feet with oil. For this reason I say to you, Simon, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And the Lord, Simon, you have a hard time processing this. You have a hard time getting this because you don't know what it's like to be forgiven for many things. But the one who knows what it's like to be forgiven much knows what it's like to love much. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Go in peace. Here is a passage that I hope you'll all remember is in your Bible. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6. Don't need to turn there. Let me just read it and you can note it. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked... Let the wicked forsake his way or forsake her way. Turn back from, turn away from his way. And let the unrighteous man turn away from his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. In other words, God's ability and God's heart to forgive is so far above the human ability to forgive that it doesn't even compare. So let the wicked man, let the unrighteous person forsake their ways and return to the Lord, and here's what they'll find. They won't find a mad God 
they will find a glad God who delights far more in restoring and forgiving and pardoning than he does in being forced by our stubbornness and by our refusal to turn from our ways to punish or to allow the consequences of what we have chosen to come upon us. The scripture says this, the way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. There is pleasure in sin for a season, the scripture says, but the way of the transgressor is hard. The wages of sin is death. God doesn't have to do anything. God doesn't have to punish. God doesn't have to bring about discipline on a life. Choices of sin, choices to go away from God's best, away from God's plan, can have a life of its own. And it is a life that in time leads to death and leads to the end of good things and leads to the, to the, to the brokenness of relationships and on and on and on and on and on. The way of the transgressor is hard. The wages of sin is death. But tell the man, tell the woman, we, we, can't we stand up and say, I finally heard that. I find, as I was one of those, wicked, unrighteous, going my own way. Until finally somebody said it to me or some way or another I heard it. Turn back. Turn back to the Lord because he will abundantly pardon. And when we did that and we found that to be true, like this woman, like this woman, we found something happening within us that no other substance, no other person on the face of the earth could supply to the ache in our heart. And so there she stands. There she stands. You know, it's, it's bad enough if you know the sins that you've committed, the things wrong within you, that you know. <laughs> it's a double whammy if the whole world knows what you are or how you've lived. That was her life. She was known, she was known as an immoral woman. No way you can separate that from sexually active in the wrong places with men she wasn't married to. But some way or another, she has had a history with Jesus. How, how would she have known when she got in that house which person to go and stand behind? How would she know which one was Jesus? She had met him before, evidently. She had seen him before, evidently. She had heard him before, evidently. And whatever it was that she came away with from that encounter with Jesus, 
It created such a sense of love in her heart for him as a person that she could not contain the expression that flowed out from her. She knew she was going to be criticized if she went in, of all places, the Pharisee's house. Wasn't like Zacchaeus on a tree on the side of the road or Bartimaeus on the side of the road in Jericho. This was in a Pharisee's house. This is in the home of one who is known for his, his purity, his, his religion, and she is known for everything the opposite of that. So what brought her into that house? Mm, the presence of Jesus. It didn't matter where the presence of Jesus was necessarily. All she knew in her heart was she just had to be near him. She just had to be close to him. Jesus is in the business of seeking and saving that which was lost. Jesus is in the business on this occasion of declaring to the world, those who were there in that setting at least, the heart of the Father. And so there she comes, and there she stands, and she stands at his feet weeping. Now, folks, some of you may be saying, doesn't the pastor know he went over all this with us last week? You betcha. You betcha. You betcha. And my prayer is that this, this story will become so vivid to us that it will alter the way we look at people. It will change the way we respond to those who seem to be hopelessly forever stuck in their lifestyle, stuck in their choices. And that we'll just look at them in a different way, and it would be in this way that you know what they're doing. You know what they're doing. They're just laying the groundwork for them to love him much is what they're doing. The one benefit of a messed up life is that there is the creation of the opportunity to love to a degree that someone who doesn't really feel like they've got all that much to be forgiven of because they tried to live a squeaky clean life This one, no squeaky clean here. No A double plus on my moral behavior. A flunked, a flunked morality, a flunked it. But what I found is that there was somebody who loved me even there. Not that he waited to love me when I cleaned it up and got up here, but he loved me where I was. He loved me in the middle of what I was doing. And it was his love for me that won me. Look, this woman stands there weeping. But they weren't tears of sorrow. There's another way to weep. It's unexplainable, uncontrollable tears of joy. I'm free. I'm forgiven. There's a future. 
There's a hope I don't have to be in prison for the rest of my life by what I did before. Tears of joy. No shame on her. These were not tears of shame. These were not tears of humiliation. These were not tears of embarrassment. If that's how it works, she'd have never showed up through the threshold of that Pharisee's door. There was life that drew her. There was freedom, the gratitude for which had to be expressed. Shameless. Shamelessly did she love him. Shamelessly and extravagantly did she love him. Singularly did she love him. She didn't care who else was in the house as long as in the house there was Jesus, the lover of her soul, the friend of sinners, the one who would say, because he knew her. Your sins, which are many. It wasn't that God went to sleep. It wasn't that he didn't notice it. It wasn't that it wasn't wrong. It was wrong. And it was a whole bunch of wrong for a whole lot of a long time. But still, he chose to love her. forgiveness, Jesus expressed it when forgiveness was meted out. He said to her, you can go in peace now. You can go in peace. You know, if you, if you, found, if you found peace that the world didn't give to you, or that people in positions of authority and impressive to the rest of your culture didn't give to you. It's independent of all of that. Oh, my. They can still think whatever they think about you. They can still draw the conclusions because of the choices that you made in your former life. But if there is a deposit from heaven's heart into your heart, I don't have to strive anymore. I don't have to fret anymore. I don't have to fight anymore. The Lord has put peace within my heart. That surpasses the opinions of other people. That surpasses the memories even of the past. She was loyal to Jesus. She was extravagant in her expression. All of these are aspects of what it means to love much, extremely, singularly loyal to the person of Jesus. I, I just got to stop here, and I, I, you know, and I may get in trouble, but just save your emails. Just, just don't waste your time sending them because I'm not going to read them. I'm, I'm talking to the invisibles out there, you know, the ones that, that I may not be able to necessarily see. But it's a, it's a struggle for me, a difficulty. People, people, pastors, young pastors, even ones that are older, trying to build churches, 
primarily out of creating in the hearts of people a loyalty to the structure of the church. You'd be loyal to Alamo City. You'd be loyal to the men's ministry. You'd be loyal to this. You'd be loyal. No. No. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. What, what, what rock? Peter's confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus would say, you didn't come up with that on your own. The father told you that. Well, you are the Christ. What does that mean? The anointed one. Isaiah 61, what's he anointed to do? He's anointed to heal the brokenhearted. He's anointed to set the captives free. He's anointed to put people, put gladness on people who know nothing but sorrow. Listen, it is the result of a personal encounter with Jesus who sets you free from that which you haven't been able to be set free from. Who brings a joy to your heart where nothing else would be able to satisfy the ache of your heart. It's a loyalty to Jesus. The church, the true church will be built upon loyalty to the person of Jesus or it will not be built at all. Upon this rock, upon this rock, I will build my church. This rock of revelation, this rock of declaration and confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the You are the anointed one, anointed to heal my broken heart, anointed to set my captive heart free, anointed to clothe me with gladness when I know nothing but sorrow. It's on the basis of that encounter, that experience, that relationship with Jesus, that the true church will be. Everything else can just be a social gathering that you wouldn't miss the Holy Spirit if he never, ever showed up. That's not the church. It's not the church. It's a social gathering. It's a club. But it's not the church. This woman was expressing that which would be at the heart of the true believer. An affection for, a loyalty to, a fascination with, the object of her gratitude overflowing, Jesus, 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 just Jesus, just Jesus. In that, in that, she gave, she gave the best she had, if not all she had, when she brought that hand-hewn alabaster bottle or vial with costly perfume. It was no stretch for her to physically express her love for him in that way. Folks, listen. Folks, listen. Oh, my goodness, folks. We've lost track of how much the Lord has forgiven us of, of how much grace has been poured. If we get to whining about, well, what about that 10%? What about this giving to God? I'm, I, I don't, I'm a self-made man. Oh, yeah, try that, Bubba, for about a half hour. And the Lord would just, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go into that. I'm going to tell you, listen, when you remember what he did for you, 
when you can rejoice in the peace and the freedom and the release and the respect with which he has treated you. It's, it's no big deal to want to give him everything, everything. Be amazed that he says keep 90, keep 90%, keep 90. no, no, no. No, that, that is an issue of the heart. That is an issue of a heart that has come to be encompassed by pride. And we've forgotten what it was that he did for us. She came in there shamelessly with tears of joy, with an expression. If it wasn't all it was a big, it may be most of what she had, pouring it out on him. Oh, my. Folks, that's where I'm going to say this to you now. I'm going to say it to you. Here it comes. Don't you ever forget what the Lord Jesus Christ saved you from. Don't ever forget what you were when he rescued you. Because if you do, the sense of joy gets lost. The sense of freedom can be lost. And then somehow that slimy old thing that just kind of, it does, it just slimes us where we think we have the right now to stick our finger out and judge all of these other poor fools. What are the poor fools doing? They're doing the same thing you did. The same thing, same category. Where do we think now we get to be God's high sheriff, God's Barney Fife with a bullet in our pocket to, blame, to blast off? No. But if we remember, I'm a sinner saved by grace. You lose grip on the joy of grace if you lose sight of what he rescued you from. Don't ever do that. Because here's what Jesus said. He who is forgiven little loves little. But the one who is forgiven much and understands and remembers and knows the much that I was forgiven for loves much. I got to turn the page with you. So there's this, there's this Pharisee sitting there. There's this Pharisee sitting, cold-hearted, judging, already thought he knew how God felt about this woman, that she was just nothing more than someone to give up on. But there was another Pharisee. He came to be the writer of two-thirds of your New Testament in your lap this morning. Saul of Tarsus, who became... Paul the Apostle. Now, I want you to just let me read to you from Paul's own writing what has happened to his heart. The Pharisee, Simon the Pharisee in the, John, in the Luke 7 story, he needed to be confronted by that kind of situation because it gave him an opportunity to realize just how off base and out of touch he was with the heart of God. You dance with the same crowd. You associate with the same people. 
and you never have a chance to really determine whether or not we're right or we're wrong in the sight of God because we've already got it figured out. Questions don't even come up. But this one is basic as where God's mercy, where God's love would flow to Simon. It wasn't, there's no, there's no deal here. The love of God is in my house. The love of God will, would, would choose my lifestyle. And here comes God, sits down in his living room at his dining room table, and the love of God is drawn toward this woman with the past that she had and the way that she expressed herself. We don't know what happened to Simon. The scripture would say in the book of Acts that there were many priests who came to faith in Christ. There were probably many Pharisees. They at least had a heart for God. They just thought they had God all figured out and they weren't ready for any new evidence until it was forced upon them. But Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, even in the middle of a bunch of Bible verses, even in the middle of a bunch of tradition, religious tradition. This is in Philippians chapter 3. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. In a letter to a pastor, the same apostle Paul wrote these words. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Let me give you the meaning of a couple of these words. We've looked at this passage before, but oh, Alamo City family, own this passage. 
own Titus 3, 4, and 5. And where it does not seem to fit with how we are naturally predisposed to react to people or to want to think about lifestyles and professions and choices, may we understand that it is the Word of God that is true. Every man will be found a liar, but the Word of God is true. So, Lord, shape me in the direction of your word. I won't waste my time trying to rewrite the scripture to fit with how I think things ought to be. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appear, His love for mankind appeared. That means his fondness for mankind. That means a friendly, considerate demeanor, a readiness to help, cherishing fellowship with courtesy shot all the way through it. For Paul to say that I may know him He was recognizing that his knowledge of God was not complete. Though he was a Pharisee, he could quote Scripture, poke him, and a verse would come out, stick him on the other side, and a praise song would come out, kick him in the leg, and he could dance a praise jig. But he didn't know God. He knew about God. He knew verses. But the big part that he didn't know about God was the mercy of God, was the love of God. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind, his desire, folks, listen, his desire to have a friendship with mankind. You say, well, that was sure, church people. There were no church people around. There was no church when Jesus left heaven. They hadn't baptized anybody. Billy Graham hadn't come through. There was nothing on the face of the earth but unbelieving humans. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, his desire for a relationship, his desire for a friendship, his desire for there to be an expression of courtesy and respect, that could have very well been one of the main reasons why the tax gatherers and the sinners seemed to surge toward Jesus is because even though he knew them, he knew that their sins were many, he still treated them with the measure of respect. There was a kindness that would flow out of him. He would go and have dinner in their houses. Why? To give them a lecture on Psalms? Take them back to the Torah? Just to be with them just to be with them, just to be with them. Them to know, for them to understand, God cares about you. You matter to him. Whether you've ever been in a church, whether you've ever repented of a sin, whether you know what a sin is in technicolor, God loves you. Now, folks, listen to me. Please hear this. 
unless you own this passage, that the heart of God is kind toward the human race, you will not be able to, in faith, stand in the presence of someone whom you know is living a messed up life and be able to say to them, you know, God loves you. Because you don't think he does. Because this part of it hadn't settled in. That God only loves the ones who love him. God only cares about the ones who are living right. Back into Luke 7. Here's Jesus put right in the middle of a moral failure here and a moral expert here. Who did he choose to say love of God, mercy of God, kindness of God? When that encounter was over, the woman left with the peace of God and old Simon the Pharisee left with his stack of rules three inch deep. Who's going to end up with a better life? Who's going to end up with a happier person to be around? Miss Peace. Oh, cranky, dry, judge everybody, mad at the world, negative over everything. Pharisee Simon. Only his mother could love him. And she probably had doubts. <laughs> so where do we need to find ourselves? When you read this again and again, and Paul, Paul will come back to it. The love of God, Romans 5, 5. The love of God being shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. It was as if Paul, the squeaky clean Pharisee, according to the righteousness found in the law, found blameless. He kept everything he knew to keep, realizing later, however, that all our righteousness is his filthy rags. It still wasn't going to measure up. But the one thing he was missing, that the woman got a grip on, was the love of God for the world, was the love of God for people, was the kindness in the heart of God for folks who are broken and needy and don't have it all figured out and aren't doing it right, and even the ones who think that they're doing it right, but cold hearts, don't care about people. You got a bar ditch on both sides of that county road, folks. You can fall off either side. And Jesus still said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And when you leave here and you go and sit down at one of the three million Mexican food restaurants in this city, <laughs> and she comes up to you or he comes up to you, you don't know him from Adam's house cat. That's what we used to say in Mississippi about folks we didn't have an idea who they were. Adam's house cat. Don't know what. You don't have to know them. 
God knows. And out of your heart, lit with the love and life and reality of Jesus. I've had it come over me at times, and you may have too. You feel like the Lord just wanted you to say, forget what, what the order on the menu was, but you, I just need to say to you, the Lord Jesus Christ loves you. God loves you. You know what that often does? That just opens up, just opens up a further conversation. Right there in the middle of the restaurant or out on the front steps. You see, folks, we lose the most attractive aspect of the beauty of God when we somehow find a way scripturally to justify our disgust with certain humans. And so they never hear from us. God loves you. All they hear from us is repent, 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 repent. But if that means to turn in the direction of a God that has been conveyed to them as already ticked, as already mad, who's going to turn? God has his own way of taking care of the punishment, of taking care of the discipline. Vengeance is mine. Belongs to me, the Lord says. I'll repay. Once you realize that you are free from having to impose God's discipline on the lives of people, you step into a measure of joy and freedom and an ability to care for people genuinely from the heart that you never knew before. God loves you. When the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, already existing love, already existing kindness, the world hadn't done anything yet that would please Him. Already existing kindness, pre-existing condition, kindness, pre-existing condition. His desire for friendship. Do you think everybody that Jesus had supper with, everybody that Jesus talked to in private conversation, everybody that Jesus healed came to trust him as Savior and Lord? We don't know the answer to that for sure, but the odds are very great that probably no, not all of them did. Well, did that stop him from expressing kindness? Did that stop him from desiring a relationship with him? Even Judas, even Judas, he knew when he picked Judas that he would be the betrayer. But he picked him anyway because he loved Judas. I wanted him to have every chance to believe.
you know, it's just a better place to live. It's, a, it's an easier place to live realizing that God is God and you are not. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. He will handle that. Our message is God so loved the world as the world was, as the world is, that he gave his only begotten son. Okay. This coming to the end of halftime, okay? This is halftime. This is not the game. This is halftime. The real world with real people, some highly successful, some sad as it is to us, miserable failures, but somehow we're related to them. We brush shoulders with them. We know them. This is halftime. This is not where the game is played. The, the places where we get encouraged in our, in our quiet times and in our fellowship with other brothers and sisters, good. But the kingdom of God is not expanded one whit. Nobody new is added to the kingdom just when a bunch of Christians get together and spend all their time doing Christian stuff. That's fine. But how relevant are we to those who need to know and to hear and to have expressed to them the love of God. Jesus, in some ways, forced himself as a relevant factor in his day because he would go where the doors opened. He would go where there was an opportunity for friendship. He would go where he was invited. He, was, he would go where his heart was drawn and drawn. Whether they could quote a verse of Scripture or not. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Oh, Lord, fill us with that kind of heart, that kind of passion to be looking for, looking for, sensitive to your voice, the ones who need you. Lord, I want to thank you for this day, and thank you for this hour, and thank you for this time. Thank you for my brothers and sisters and dear friends who are in this room and in the sound of our voice today. Would you, by your Spirit, do in us what you need to do in order for us to be hands that you can use, feet that you can use, voices that you can use, hearts that beat with your heart. For those who need to know the love of God and their lives, in Jesus' name, amen.